Welcome to the Church at Rocky Peaks Downloadable Messages. This week, Lead Pastor Mike Yearly wraps up his seven-part series entitled The Company of the Committed, Seven Habits of a Healthy Church. And today he'll bring us the seventh and final message of this series entitled A Kingdom Mindset. It's not all about us. Hey, well, today we're finishing the series, The Company of the Committed, Seven Habits of a Healthy Church. And of course, we've been in it all fall. And uh, next week, as you know, we're doing the special Sacred Assembly. I'll mention that uh, a little bit more at the end of the service, talk a little bit about that more. But it's been a great day in the life of our church, and I hope you can be here next weekend for that service. But today we wrap it up with habit number seven, um, seventh habit of a, of a great church, healthy church, is a kingdom mindset. It's not all about us. And like so many of the habits, this flows out of something Jesus said. You know, when he was ready to leave planet Earth, the last thing he said uh, that we know of, last just recorded thing that he said, is that he gave us an assignment to the leaders of his new new movement. And he said, um, you're, I've got a specific job for you to do while I'm going. I'm going to be gone. You're going to be left. And I've got a job for you to do. When I come back, I'm going to check out and see how you did. You know, you're going to be evaluated on how you did. And basically, the job was to reach the world with the message that he had brought. And so there in your note sheet, we'll look at like one example of these final instructions of Jesus. More than one. But Matthew 28 um, Matthew, this is the very end of Matthew's uh, gospel, the story of Christ's life. And Jesus is speaking, and he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, that's just Bible talk for I'm in charge of the universe. Okay? Like, I, I'm top dog. Um, I'm over the whole thing. And as top dog in the universe, um, I have some instructions for you, some uh, command for you as the leaders of my movement. And here it is. I want you to go, and I want you to make disciples or followers of all nations. And I want you to baptize them. That's the initiation right into this movement. I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I want you to teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And so those are the final instructions of Jesus. He says to his people, he says, um, I'm going to be gone. You're staying here, but you've got a job to do. Your job is to take the message, the things I've taught you, take them into all the world, to every, to every creature, every person, and, and give them a chance to become a follower of mine. And once they, once they sign up and they say, yeah, I want to follow Jesus, and baptize them. That'll be, that'll be the sign to everyone they're serious about this thing. And then once they're baptized, begin to teach them how to obey and to do life the way I've instructed you to do it. That's our job. And one of the marks of a healthy church is that a healthy church never forgets our job, never forgets what we're about. Um, it's so easy to get distracted, isn't it? It's so easy to forget about this. Sometimes it's easy in a church to get to a place where we, we kind of see ourselves as a safe place where we come to escape the world, you know. It's easy to become a place where, hey, this is sort of like a little Christian club. We all get one another. We all understand one another. And at the point we become a Christian club, we've missed the whole point of what it means to be a church. Because in a church, we gather so that we can go, right? We we gather together so we can be strengthened, we can learn how to obey Jesus, so we can learn how to do life the way he says, so we can go and tell others so they can come to know him too. That's the mark of a healthy church. And so today I want to ask the question, look at this, what does it take to become a church that really has a, a kingdom mindset, where we realize it's not all about us, it's about others who don't know, it's about reaching those who are far from God. What does that look like? What does it look like as a church? What does it look like uh, in our own lives? And so there in your note sheet, you have a section called How to Make a Kingdom Impact. 
you'll notice there's five steps. Of course, there's always more than whatever I say there is. Um, it's just the, but, but, but today we're sticking with the five I've written, all right? So we're not going to write in any more. So you can just, aren't you glad you came? Um, we're not going six, seven, or eight. We're sticking with five unless something brilliant comes in the middle. But uh, here we go. Number one. The first thing we have to do uh, as a church is we need to start with a clear sense of our calling. In other words, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Why are we here? What does it mean to be a church? We just looked at this that Jesus gave us, these instructions, and this is what it's talking about. You're calling. While I'm gone, you've got a job to do. This is your job. Jesus, in fact, told many parables right before he left planet Earth. He told this, he gave us many little stories, and he said, well, it's kind of like this. It's sort of like a guy gives his kind of money to three of his top servants, and he says, I want, I'm going to go away. I want you to run the business while I'm gone. And when you come back, I'll evaluate how you did, your bottom line. Uh, he told stories about wedding feasts and how uh, uh, the, the virgins needed to have their oil ready so that when the, the bridegroom came back to celebrate this wedding, doesn't matter what time of day, that, that they're ready to go to light the lamp. So he told story after story of this. Our job is to, is to reach the world while he's gone. Now, I want to start today um, with a verse in Matthew, okay? So if you take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 6. So the first step then, if we're going to become a church that's a healthy church in this habit number seven area, is we, get to, we need to get really clear on what is our calling? What, why are we here as a church? How will we evaluate our, our progress and our effectiveness? So Matthew chapter 6. Now this is a famous verse, and if you've been a Christian a while, I'm sure you've read it, but it may be a little different context than you've, you've understood it. Let me set the stage. Um, Jesus is talking to his disciples about their priorities in life. Um, have you ever noticed it's easy to get distracted in life? <laughs> it's like all of a sudden, like, we think life's about what we wear or how, what we're going to eat or how we're going to pay the bills. And all of our time and energy is all about this stuff, just the stuff of life. And if you were to step back and you say, do you really think that's what life about? Is life just really about paying the bills? You go, no, there's got to be more to life than that. It's not about the mundane. There's got to be something more. And, and, yet, and so Jesus comes along and says, yes, you're absolutely right. There is something more. I don't want you to get stuck in the mundane. I want you to have a bigger sense of focus and purpose. And so here he says, in, in verse 33, he tells his disciples, here's the deal. You need to seek first God's kingdom. Now, that's what I'm calling habit number seven a kingdom mindset. Seek first the advance of God's kingdom. That's what he's saying. And his righteousness and all these things. What? You know, what things? The things that, like what we're going to eat and what we're going to wear and what we're going to put on, the mundane things. He said, all these things will be given you as well. He says, you focus on the important things. I'll take care of the unimportant things. Okay? So the mark of a great church is that the great church is always seeking first the kingdom. Now, we all have different assignments in this. Some of you right now are assigned to CSUN. That is where your assignment is. Some of you are assigned to Bank of the America. Bank of the America. Very good, Mike. Bank of America. That's how we say it here. Um, Some of you are assigned to seventh graders in a middle school. Some of you are assigned to a house right now, and your job is to run your home and to take care of your kids. Some of you are attorneys, you're assigned to a law firm. Some of you are construction workers, you're assigned to that job site. 
So we all have different assignments, different locations, and yet as followers of Jesus, wherever we find ourselves, our job is to say, what's God up to for the kingdom right here, right now, and what is my part? What do you want to do, God? You see, we are like ambassadors. We're representatives of the kingdom wherever we go. We might have different titles. We might have different stations in life. You might be old. You might be young. You might be a man, you might be a woman, you might be a teenager. doesn't matter, but your assignment is always to be seeking the advance of the kingdom wherever you are, see? And, and unless we're clear on this calling, we will never become a great church, you see? Because it's this calling that makes a great church. It says we're focused in, well, what is Jesus doing in this world? Let me give you an example of this, a kingdom mindset. Turn in your Bibles to Titus chapter 2. Now, Titus is a little book to the right in your Bible. It's Titus was a young pastor. And the Apostle Paul was mentoring him on how to lead his congregations. And so in chapter 2, he says, Titus, as you're leading your congregation, um, you need to tell the old men to act like this, and the older women like this, and the younger women like this, and the younger men like that. And... He didn't really define what older and younger means, so you can decide which category you're in. But in chapter 2 and verse 1, we're going to read throughout 10 verses very quickly here. And he's going to have all these instructions for these different age categories. And what I want you to do is kind of ignore the instructions if you can. Um, That's not really why we're reading this. What I want you to see is how the Apostle Paul says the reason that we're to act a certain way in our station life is so that we can have a kingdom impact. And three times he's going to give us the why for the what's. Here's the what's. You know, what, what are you supposed to be like? Here's the what's. But here's the why. And three times the why he's going to say, it's all about the kingdom. You're out there living in the world. It's all about the kingdom. So let's look at this. Chapter 2 and verse 1. Uh, Titus, you must teach what's in accord with sound doctrine. In other words, solid teaching. He says, teach the older men. So here's category number one. Teach the older men to be temperate, to be worthy of respect, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love and endurance. Remember, we're not looking at the specifics. Okay, we just get it. All right. Verse three. Likewise, teach the older women, here's category two, to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. And they can train the younger women, category three, to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, to be subject to their husbands. And here it comes. Here comes our first why. So that no one will malign the word of God. See that? If you underline in your Bible, which you should, that would be a good place right there. So that no one will, will, will malign the word of God. He's giving all these instructions. He's the older men like this, he, the older women like this, the younger women like this. He's, but the whole, what's the point of it? So that no one out there in the society will look and say, hey, this new movement, these Christians, they're bad people. They're not winsome people. This is a bad movement. He says, we want to remove all arrows from their quiver. You see, we, we want to live such amazing lives that really no one has anything bad to say about us. Why? Because we want to have a kingdom impact. Now, that's if you only said it once, it'd be good enough, but he's just going to say it three times. So verse 6. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. So we got fourth category here, young men, to be self-controlled. And everything set them example by what, what is doing good. 
In your teaching, show integrity, show seriousness, show soundness of speech that cannot be condemned. Here come, here comes. So that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. See? It's the second time. Now he's going to say it one more time. Slaves. This applies to children. Um, <clears throat> that's how I read it. Some people say employees. I say children. Okay. Verse 9. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters and everything, to try to please them, not to talk back. See, it's a great kid verse. This is awesome. Um, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted. Here it comes. So that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. You see that? You catch what's going on here? He says, when you're teaching your congregation, teach the old men to act like this. The the old women to act like this. The young women like this. The, the young men like this. You act like this, Titus. And by the way, slaves should act like this. Why? It should always be like, what's the kingdom impact? You see? And so wherever we go in life, we have to be clear on our calling. Whatever your job, whatever your, um, your career, whatever, however you spend your time, the families you run in, your extended family, your communities, a kingdom mindset says we're clear on our calling. We are, all, we're, we are where we are always, 24-7, representing the kingdom, advancing the cause of the kingdom. You see, what's God up to here? I, I read a really good book many years ago by a fellow named Tim Downs. He was on staff with Campus Crusade for years. And uh, it's an awesome book on how to have impact in a kingdom way. And if you're looking for a good book to read in that, really highly recommend it. It's called Finding Common Ground. But he makes a statement in there that I think really expresses this whole kingdom mindset. I put it there in your note sheet. He says, who are the people with whom you regularly have contact? Think carefully through the people you encounter in an average week, the neighbors, the carpool members, the, the co-workers, store clerks, etc., Work from the first person you see each day, perhaps the neighbor you see when you fetch the morning paper, to the last person you, you encounter each night, the fellow parent you stand beside as you watch your daughter's soccer, soccer practice. Now catch this. These people represent your turf, the fields in which you have the opportunity to practice the sower's art. Remember Jesus talked about this, the parable of the sower planting the seed. He said, see, these are our turf. And so if we're going to be a great church in habit number seven, it means that each of us come to a place, we understand we're here on assignment and we're always 24-7 representing the kingdom. You're obviously ready to go on. Number two. (laughs) Like, okay, we got that one. Okay, step it up here. We got things to do. All right. Number two, uh, work on being winsome, which I'm trying to do. Okay, if we're going to be a great church and kingdom impact, we're going to need to work on being winsome. Now, what do we mean by being winsome? Let me give you some words. Attractive. Remember, the Apostle Paul said, Slaves, live your lives like this so you make the teaching of God attractive. He says, so, so what does it mean to be winsome? It means to be attractive. It means to be appealing. It means to be engaging. It means to be positive. Now, can I tell you something? I'm going to. <laughs> whether you love me or not. Uh, Can can I tell you something? In in our country today, many times the church of Jesus Christ, Bible-believing Christians, the fact is we have not been winsome. The fact is we've often been argumentative. 
We've been closed-minded at times. We've been self-righteous. We've been hypocritical. And, And you stop and think, why would anyone want to follow your God if they don't even like you? Right? And so no one's going to want to know about your God if they don't like you. It's like, well, why would I follow your God? I might become like you. Right? So if we want to influence people, we have to be winsome. Now, this has nothing to do with, like, compromising the message. It has nothing to do with that. It has nothing to do with change. But it has everything to do to how we deliver the message and, more importantly, what kind of person we are. You know? Uh, Tim Downs did this little uh, informal survey. He asked some students he was working with, because he's big into evangelism and so on, at the Students University Center. He, he said, in your mind, when you think of evangelical Christian, which would be, you know, Rocky Peak, we're in that, that, that area, um, what are some words that came to mind? And they came up with ten words, in their mind, stereotype evangelical Christian. Now, this is not going to be good. Brace yourself, all right? Okay. Phony pushy, manipulative, politically conservative, socially conservative. Here's some good ones. Intolerant, know-it-alls, out of touch, out of date, no sense of humor. Now you tell me something. Why would people who see Bible-believing Christians in that list, why would they ever want to know about our God? say. Now, now what if that list was different? What if the list was caring, compassionate, courageous, sacrificial, um, going the extra mile, hardworking, responsible, honest? You see? Look at those two lists. You see what I'm saying? It's like we're going to have to, if we're going to have a kingdom impact, then in our jobs, in our families, in our community, on the soccer field, we need to build that kind of word list in people's minds. You see, we need to be, that kind, we need to be winsome. Um, I want you to turn to a passage of Scripture that's deeply influenced me in this area. It's Matthew chapter 5. Now, I grew up in a, a church, when I was a little boy, um, that evangelism was a big deal. Reaching out, telling others about Christ was one of the marks of a mature believer. And, and so when I read this verse, Matthew chapter 5, I always read it a certain way. And I don't know, five, six, seven, ten years ago, I don't know when it was, I read it one day and realized I'd read this verse wrong my whole life. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14. Let's see how you've read it, if you've ever read it. Okay, 514. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. And I want you to catch this. This is a message from Jesus to Rocky Peak. He says to us here, Rocky Peak, you are the light of the world. Now, it can be a good light or a bad light, but you are the light of the world. There isn't any other light, you see, than his people. There's no substitute light. It's the followers of Jesus. He says, you are the light of the world. You either do a good job or bad, but you are it. And he says, a city on a hill can't be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp. They don't put it in a bowl. How, how ridiculous would that be? Well, that's like a, or under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand like a candlestick, and it gives light to everyone in the house. Okay, we get it. So he says, now, in the same way, let your light, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds, or the King James says, works, see your good works, and praise your Father in heaven. 
Now, I, I got to tell you, I, I read this verse wrong my whole life. Uh, here's how I heard it. I heard this, Mike. So when you're out there, you're a Christian. When people ask if you're a Christian, don't be ashamed of me. Be bold. Speak up. Tell people about me. Uh, don't be bashful. Be willing to suffer, even if they hate you. Okay? Um, that's how I read the verse. And, and it wasn't until many years ago I read this verse and said, that's not what Jesus said at all. He didn't say anything. There's nothing about my words in this passage. There is nothing that says, let your words shine before men. He didn't say that. He says, let your works shine before men. And he says, not so that even if they'll hate you, he says, so they will praise your Father. In other words, live such amazing lives that people stand back and say, wow, isn't God cool that he would teach you how to do that? Be winsome. This last week, uh, pastors Dave and Stan and Brent and I went away to just a beautiful place in Dana Point because, of course, pastors don't work only one day a week. And um, this was a, a retreat time for us to get away and to, to plan and to pray and think through this next year and budget and all that kind of stuff. And uh, and so when we got there, I, I was upstairs and, you know, it was a two-story uh, place and I was upstairs doing some stuff and all. And when I got down, they'd, they'd left me really nice of them. They'd left me the master bedroom. It's really the only nice thing they did all week. But um, the mock meter was high this week. But anyway, um, anyway, so I go down, and it's, it's this master room, and it's really nice. It's like it's, it's a separate room, and you go through a separate hallway, all inside your room, and then into this separate kind of bathroom area and, and, you know, and, and then uh, where the toilet is inside. And so it's, it's, it's pretty nice, but fairly complicated for a guy like me. It's a little, you know, like rat-like maze. And, um, and so, you know, when it comes time to go to bed that night, I, I decide, you know, I know that I'm going to need to give myself some help here. If I get up in the middle of the night, it's going to be totally dark. I've got to find myself to this maze, and, you know, I, I know how I get in the middle of the night. And, and, and there's stories that are legend in our family. Um, <laughs> They involve screaming and things like this. That, uh, what happens when I get disoriented in the middle of the night? And, and my people I used to work with, we'd go on retreats, and they have legendary stories of the fear that would come into them in the middle of the night. And so, so I need to, to you know, have some kind of light. So what I would do is I would just take the bathroom door, which remember was around the corner down the hall, and just I'd turn the light in the bathroom, close the door almost, and it would just give a little bit of light. So when I wake up in the middle of the night, I'd get oriented to where I needed to go. You see, light is a good thing. When Jesus says, let your light shine, he's not saying be irritating. (laughs) Your job is to be irritating for me. You'll have a reward in heaven. your Your job is to live life in such an amazing way that others say, oh, that's the way. That's the way to the bathroom. Oh, that's the way. I didn't know how to do relationships. I, I didn't. I never figured out how to do conflict. I didn't know how to respond to my enemy. You're, you're showing me how to get there to where I need to go. So, what does it look like to do those kinds of works? Well, if you study Matthew five through seven, when we're just in Matthew five, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus spells out what it means to live a life like this. He, he says it's things like being a person of our word. It, it has to do with working through conflict. It means dealing with anger in our life in a positive way. 
It has to do with loving people, even our enemies. It has to do with forgiving one another. It has to do to guys, men, that we don't look at women as sex objects, that we honor them. It has, it has to do in our marriages, that we, we stay together, we learn how to love one another. It has to do like we give gifts to the poor, and in our relationship with God, we're honest and not hypocritical. And what's not to like? Right? Of course there's going to be people that hate the, the light because of the darkness. Of course that that's true. But Jesus says, no, live your life in such a way that people praise God. And you think of Jesus, that's how he did it. He'd go around healing people and teaching everyone, go, this is amazing that God would give such wisdom to men. And, and it's amazing, these, these powers that, they've, that God's given to this guy. And, and, the, and, and often it would say, and they praise God because of it. You see, he says, be like me. Light the lamp. Lead the way. Be winsome. I, uh, this last weekend, I uh, visited another church. Um, not during the, the morning I was here. But um, in the evening, Sunday night, there was a friend of mine, who's a worship leader in another church, and, and uh, we'd met, and, and he invited me to come sometime and see what they do. And so last Sunday evening, I did. And it was, a, it was a, like a college, kind of a 20-something type group. And... Uh, and so I got there. The website said they started at 7. Um, it was really 7.30. So I got there half an hour early. And so I, I was talking to this one guy. He's probably 25, 26 years old. And uh, we began talking and just about this group and so on. And in the conversation, I said, so well, how long have you, have you been a Christian? He said, well, about a year. And I said, well, how did that happen? And he said, well, I was dating a girl for five years, and we were very serious, and then we broke up. And it was a very hard time in my life. And he said, my non-Christian friends... They all blew it off like it was no big deal. They weren't very sensitive. They didn't help me through. I was dying inside. But it was my Christian friends who reached out. They listened. They were sensitive. They even invited me to church. And I came to church and I heard the message of Christ and I gave my life to Christ. They see, that's winsome. That's winsome. That's not pounding people with the Bible. That's saying, I'm going to be your friend. And I'm going to love you. And I'm going to help you. And I'm going to walk you through life. It doesn't matter if you're a follower of Jesus or not. I'm going to love you. I'm going to care for you. And guess what? It was winsome, you see. And so God's calling us as a congregation to learn more about this, to be what it means to be winsome, what it means to make the gospel attractive, like the Apostle Paul said in Titus. Okay, number two. Number three. I was going to say, it's a good thing it's not number two. We're in trouble. All right. Number three. So he's talked about how it's not about the words, it's about the works. He's talked about that. But there is a place for words. And it's a very important place. So number three goes like this. Share your story when asked. Okay, let's talk about this. There is a time to, to speak. Um, like I told you, I grew up in this conservative church. Evangelism was a big deal. And so sharing Christ on a regular basis was a part of being a follower of Jesus. And that was one of the four or five top values in our congregation. And so, for example, um, we would have in our sermons, we'd always have stories about people sharing Christ at the bus stop or um, sharing Christ on the plane. And, you know, the whole plane coming to Christ, you know, right there. Um, uh, it, you know, just these amazing stories. You know, I'm talking in Christian circles, these testimonies. You know, you share someone you don't even know. And 
they become the next Billy Graham or whatever. And so we would have these stories all the time. And so I grew up thinking that this is what you needed to do. Committed Christians share their faith on a regular basis with anything that moves. Uh, that, that's what you do. It, it just didn't really fit me. Uh, I was shy. I was quiet. I was very introverted. But I was very serious about learning to do this Christian life the right way. And so I really worked at this. I remember 1972, which I understand is a long time ago. It's before you were born. But trust me, it really happened. In 72, then we had a thing in Dallas called um, Explo 72. Um, and it was put on by Campus Crusade for Christ. And they brought like 100,000 students from across the nation together to learn how to follow Christ better and how, especially how to share your faith. And so we went through this training, this week-long training. And then part of that training was to go out, do door-to-door witnessing, you know, in Dallas. And so I did this. I hated doing this. It was just like a nightmare for me. But, you know, you just force yourself to do it. This is what you're supposed to do. I remember in high school, sharing Christ in the locker room, sharing Christ in speech classes. I remember um, when Lynn and I were first married, uh, working at that warehouse, as, remember the forklift operator. And, and I remember alienating people there as a, as a witness for Christ. Now, I remember... I remember early on in our marriage reading about this one great Christian leader and how he made this commitment to share Christ at least once every day with someone who didn't know about him. He woke up at 3 in the morning one day, realized he hadn't, got out of bed, went downtown Chicago, shared Christ, the guy became a Christian. And I'm thinking, okay, that's what I need to do. So I made this commitment, pretty much alienated our apartment complex. And so, um, you know, can I tell you something? In all those years of sharing, I never saw one person come to Christ. Now, if you work at something really hard for that many years and it doesn't work, probably not your gift, (laughs) right? And yet this was my idea. This was my understanding of this is what we were supposed to be doing. And it was years later I began to realize that evangelism is a gift. Some of us have it. Some of us don't. If you've got the gift, and some studies have have estimated that about 10% of Christians have this gift, then you're going to be really good at this. It's going to be very natural to you. It's going to be very natural to talk about your faith and introduce people to Christ, probably win them to Christ right there on the spot sometimes. And, and we need you out there. You are our SEAL team. You know, you're going, you're advanced forces. We need you out there. We need you doing your thing. That's, your, that's the way you give to the, the body. You build up the body. But most of us, and here's what I want you to guess, most of us don't have that gift. And what I found is a lot of Christians feel guilty their whole life because they're not having those plain stories. Well, that's not what we're called to do. That's not it. But let me tell you what we are called to do. We are called to share our story when we're asked. I want you to note on your note sheet, 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. Peter says, always be prepared. Remember, kingdom mindset. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone, underline this, who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and do it with respect. Don't do it as a know-it-all. Don't do it as a phony. Don't be manipulative. Don't do that list thing. Do it with gentleness. Do it with respect. Be ready to give an answer. Now, here's what I'm going to tell you. If you are following Jesus in your life and you are growing and you are changing, which will happen if you follow Jesus. And if you are working on being winsome, I can guarantee you people will ask you about your story. Now, here's the deal. They may not ask you like this. 
like the Philippian jailer, fall on their knees and say, what must I do to be saved? Okay. It's not going to happen that way. And the reason is they really want to, they're curious about your faith. And they want to know more, but they're really afraid to give you an inch that you're going to take a mile. They're going to afraid that you're going to pull out the four spiritual laws and boom, you know, it's like, here it is, kneel right now. That you're going to get phony, you're going to get pushy, you're going to manipulate because that's what their impression is. So they're, going to, they're afraid to ask you. So what they're going to do, they're not going to say, what must they do to be saved? They're going to say little probing questions. They're going to say things like this. Wow, you know, I've noticed your marriage seems to be going pretty well. And, and, and ours kind of struggle. And what have you found to be helpful? They're going to ask you questions like this. Hey, you talk about your small group a lot. Do you guys meet like every week or what? Uh, they're going to say things like, um, gosh, you never used to go to church, and you seem to go to church all the time now. It's like, what's up with that? You know? You see what I'm saying? They're just going to little probes. These little probes. Now, when someone sends a probe, you don't back up the dump truck. <laughs> you know? And give them 10 yards of amended topsoil. You know? Well, you know, in the book of Genesis, it says, you know, and they're like three hours later. And then in Revelation, you know, um, uh, no, we just answer their questions honestly and share a little bit of our story. It could be, you know, you're right. We, I do, I, I talk about my small group. You know, my small group has meant so much to me. A year ago, we were going through a really tough time in our marriage. It was our small group that prayed for us, that loved us, and helped us get some counseling, and it's made a huge difference in our life. Wow, you just gave him an answer for the hope, didn't you? And you just told your story. Uh, someone says, uh, I really like the way your kids are coming out, you know? I've got young kids, and do you have any books to recommend? And you say, you know, I, I do have two or three books that are, that are really helpful to me. And, you know, strange as it might seem, you know, one book that's really been helpful to me is the Bible. It's like this, there's this book called Proverbs. It's got all this kind of wisdom stuff about raising kids, and it's been so helpful to me. Um, it's like, well, yeah, you know, you're right. I, I didn't go to church, but I, I know this kind of seems weird to you. You probably think like people go to church are like Jesus freaks or something. But, you know, I, I went to this church, and it was just really different than any other church I'd been to. And I, I really, I connected. I love the, the music and, and the teaching. I actually understood it, and it was really helpful in my life. And I don't know. You want to come sometime. Just check it out. You see what I'm saying? It's just sharing our story. And we can all do that. The only way you can not do that is be a dishonest person. <laughs> you see? Because if it's just the truth about our life and they ask, you just kind of tell them the story. But we don't feel like we have to give them the whole truckload. You just give them what they ask for. You know? One of my friends, um, Larry Osborne, uh, as a pastor I served with before, he has a great quote here. He says, when it comes to evangelism, never underestimate the power of your story, even if it's boring. <laughs> and Brennan Manning in his book, Abba's Child, says, telling the story does not require that we become ordained ministers or flamboyant street corner preachers, nor does it demand that we try to convert people by, with, by concussion, with one sledgehammer blow the Bible after another. <laughs> It simply means we share with others what our lives used to be like, what happened when we met Jesus, and what our lives are like now. It's just simple, simple stuff. Okay, number four. Fourth thing that we need to do is we need to invite seekers to come and see. Uh, 
In other words, as you share your story, as you're winsome and people share your story, there's going to be a time, it's just sort of natural for you to say, why don't you come and see? Why don't you come to church with me? And the fact is, if you've been winsome and you've built relationship and they're a seeker at all, and you tell them, you should come to our church. I mean, it's really, it's really cool. You know, it's really different probably than any church you've been to before. It's probably not like that. It's like you, you like the music and, and you know, the teaching is going to make sense and you'll be able to understand it. And why don't you just try it once? You'll be amazed at how many people will say, okay. You know, if we've been winsome and we told our story, there's a great story in the Gospel of John, one of my favorite evangelism stories. Uh, two guys, Philip and Nathaniel, they're buddies, been buddies their whole life, grew up in the same town. And, uh, and so one day, Philip comes up, he finds Nathaniel, he says, hey, you're not going to believe this, we found the Messiah. Now, you know, this is a guy they've been looking for for 500 years, you know, so, I mean, it's, it's like, it's not like an everyday thing, we found the Messiah. And so, you know, well, yeah, well, tell me about him. Well, he's, his name is Jesus. Okay, well, that's good. You know, Joshua, Savior, you know, that's good. Um, he's from Nazareth. Oh, you've got to be kidding me. Nazareth? That little podunk town? That's, like, that's the wrong side of the tracks. Like, Messiahs don't come from, from Nazareth. They come from, like, Jerusalem, you know? Like, no way. He could... And it was so awesome because what Philip said, he didn't argue the point. He didn't get to go into apologetics. He's like, well, let me give you 14 reasons why a Messiah could come. He said, look, why don't you just come check him out? Just come and see. See what you think. And because they had a relationship and because he was winsome, they said, okay. And so he comes, he meets Jesus, and guess what? Jesus takes over from there, you know? And by the time Jesus is done with it, he's like, okay, you're the Messiah. In fact, you're the king of Israel. <laughs> and she's like, you believe because of that? You're going to see a lot more than this, you know? Like, wow, you're quick to believe. Good kid, you know. And so many times, you know, we try to close the deal on people. We feel like we have, if we don't personally win them to Jesus and have them pray the sinner's prayer at our office or on the job site, that we've somehow failed. Can I tell you something? That most of the people that are going to come to Christ through Rocky Peak and these three communities are going to become because you invited them. The vast majority of people. I believe God's going to bring all kinds of people to Rocky Peak or far from him in the coming years. But you know what? They're going to come and they're going to become followers of Jesus, not because you closed the deal, but because you said, come and see. And then Jesus took over from there. A few years ago, I went over to visit a church that I just really have a lot of respect for in Hawaii. It's called New Hope Church. Pastors Wayne Cordero. And uh, there's several years ago, I became aware of it. It grew really rapidly from like zero to 10,000 people in 10 years or something. And I just really liked some of the stuff they were doing and had some network and some relationship. And and uh, and so there was actually, there was two churches. I was interested. One was in Arkansas and one was in Hawaii. I chose the Hawaii uh, one <laughs> to uh, go check out. But someone needed to do it. And, you know, it's like, whatever. Had that week off again. So... Um, <laughs> And so I, I called them and I said, would it be okay if I just came over and hang out with you guys for a week? You know, I just, I just want to see what you're doing firsthand. And they said, sure, come on over. And it was just a great week. And I've come to love that church and, and uh, the relationship with them. Um, but it's so great because they've grown so fast and so many people have come to Christ through that church. And yet when you talk to them, like, well, how did that happen? Here's what Wayne Cordero says. There, he's the pastor. It's on your note sheet. 
He says, we believe the most effective evangelism happens through people inviting people. How true it is. In fact, 80 to 90% of all the people who come to know the Lord here have been those invited by others. You see? And, and so if we're a kingdom mindset church, this is how it's going to work. Is that as you work on being winsome, as people ask you, share a little of your story, there's going to come a time when you say, why don't you just come and see? You don't have to convince them, just come and see. And, and let them come here and let them experience the presence of God firsthand. And let them hear the word of God firsthand. Let, let Jesus deal with them, you know? And let them walk away and say, oh, there's something special about that place. I don't know what it was. Something's drawing me back. I, I got to hear more. I don't know what it is. Something's happening in me. I've never felt like this before. I don't know what's going on. This is not me. You know, that's Jesus stuff. That's what happens when Jesus starts getting a hold of a life. Okay, number five. <clears throat> now, this one's really a little different than the first four points. The first four points are focusing more on our individual kind of uh, uh, each of us doing our own thing for Christ and being representatives, how to do that better. Um, this one really is more of a global, it has to deal with our, our church and our, our reaching out. And it goes like this, reach out and touch the world. Um, you know, we spend a lot of time today talking about how we individually will touch the world. But remember, Jesus said when he left, in the Acts account of when he left, his final instructions are, I want you to go into all the world, preach the gospel to, um, he said, I want you to go out and be witnesses to Jerusalem, and then a little further out to Judea, a little further out to Samaria, and then like to, to the uttermost parts, the ends of the earth. And so Jesus' vision for his church is not just you take care of your three valleys, you, you have an impact worldwide. And we're uniquely positioned to do that in this country. I mean, we've, we've got a lot of financial resources and things like that. And so we want to partner with what God's doing around the world here at Rocky Peak. It's not just about us or our three values. It's like, what's God doing in the world in amazing ways? How can we partner with what he's doing around the world? A lot of you know, if you've been here at Rocky Peak a long time, you know that we have a very active um, missions uh, movement in our church, which is, you know, not only here locally, but around the world. Uh, this year alone, we'll give over $400,000 to missions from our budget. Why? Because we want to impact the kingdom globally, you see. Um, and I see this as, as something more of a part of our future, not less. Let's see. Uh, one of the reasons, if you've been here a while, you know that we do a lot of short-term missions here. You know, we go to Uganda or go to Ethiopia or Mexico or different places. And you know why we do that? It, it's not just so that we can go out and help them accomplish a mission. That's part of it. But you know why I'm so big on short-term missions? Because it changes us. That we get out of our little USA environment and we go out and we see how the rest of the world lives. And we see what God's doing in the rest of the world. And we see the heart of some of these believers who in the midst of persecution and hard times are giving everything for Jesus. And we come back and say, oh my goodness, I've been missing the boat here. And it gives us a new intensity for being kingdom mindset people here as well as over there. I really see this as something more. In the, you know, last week I was talking to a guy 
that just got back from a missions trip from Cornerstone. You know, Cornerstone Community Church in Simi Valley, Francis Chan, great church. And, and uh, last weekend, this is so awesome, last weekend, Cornerstone sent 550 people to Mexico to minister over the weekend, three-day weekend in Mexico. Now, now is that awesome or what? I mean, 550 people, that's going to affect your attendance. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Hey, but oh, for the day when we have 500 people missing on a weekend here because we're in Mexico seeking the kingdom first, right? Because we, we gather so we can go. And I tell you, this is something I'm just praying that God will touch my heart in new, new, new and deeper ways. Just a passion for the world. Ever since I've come to Rocky Peak and I heard about what was happening in Uganda and how you were partnering with Uganda, I've had this desire. I mean, from early on, like last January, early in the process, it's like, I want to go to Uganda, you know? About a month ago, I got a call from Dave Phillips, you know, who heads up Children's Hunger Fund. He said, Mike, I'm taking a few pastors to Uganda. Would you like to go to Uganda? <laughs> like, are you kidding me? It's like, I'm there. And so in January, end of January, I'm going to Uganda because I'm off that week too. And, <laughs> and, uh, and I've got to plan some work in this schedule, I'm telling you. But uh, it's amazing how your calendar fills up if you don't plan it. But, uh, and so I'm going to get to go to Uganda. But you, you know why I'm going? It, it's, not just, it's not just for me or my heart. I, I'm going because I want to see if God wants to par- us to partner as Rocky Peak with ministries in Uganda. I think there's tremendous potential there for us to come alongside and accelerate what they're doing. They've got the anointing. They've got the people. They've got the heart. But we've got some resources. If we could multiply what God is doing in Uganda... See, it's a kingdom mindset. It's not about us. It's about the kingdom. Whether that kingdom is here in the three valleys we serve or whether that kingdom is across the ocean. It's about remembering the words of Jesus. We've got a job to do. It's not about us. It's about losing sight of ourselves and getting a passion for people who are far from God and who will never get to hear if we don't take the message. And it's a mark of a great church. A great church never forgets what it's about. A great church never forgets what the job is. A great church, every day as they go out of their normal, everyday worlds, realize that they are ambassadors, that they are representing the kingdom, and they're asking the question always, wherever I go, what is God up to here, and how can I help advance it? You see. And so next weekend, when we sign that banner together, we talk about habit number seven. You say, yes, I'm into habit number seven. What's it mean? It simply means that you're saying, you know what? I don't want to be distracted. I want to seek first the kingdom. And I know I'm going to get distracted at times. And I know I'm going to lose track of time. But I'm going to always come back and I'm going to ask the question, what's God up to? And what's the kingdom need in this situation? And I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to mentor me to develop a kingdom mindset in my life. And can you imagine the power that will be unleashed in this place if as one we embrace a kingdom mindset? Let's pray together. Father, may your will be done.
May your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus, when you came, you said the kingdom of God is at hand. When you sent your disciples out, you said go and take the message of the kingdom. And when you left, you gave us one final set of instructions. It was all about the kingdom. Father, may your kingdom come. May your will be done at Rocky Peak. And may we share your passion for those who don't know you and for the kingdom you're building. And may the gates of hell not prevail or stand against the church of Rocky Peak. We pray this for your sake and the sake of your kingdom. Amen. All right. We wrap it up. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do men light a lamp and put it under a bowl, but they put it on a stand so that all may see. In the same way, let your light shine before men so they can see your amazing lives and your good works And as a result, praise your Father who is in heaven. God bless you.